This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello, football feasters. Have you got your breath back from a wondrous weekend? Pearson sacked by Watford with two games to go. Arsenal pull off the unthinkable as Arteta uses inside knowledge to outwit mentor. Tottenham thrash Leicester as Jose teaches former apprentice a lesson. And we are reminded that Kepararí de Balaga has got some serious competition for that Spanish number 13 jersey. We preview all of this week's remaining fixtures as Wolves and Sheffield United try to hang on for European places. And Aston Villa have thrown a huge lifeline. And Chelsea and Manchester United fight it out again, this time for a place in the top four. All on the podcast that, like Leicester, Bournemouth and David De Gea, won't let this one slip through our fingers. It's the Game Day Preview Pod from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Hello to Matt Holland, who made his name at Bournemouth, Ipswich and Charlton, captained the Republic of Ireland three times and played at the 2002 World Cup. Hello, Matt. How are we doing? All good? All good, thank you. And Crook the Grump with the Hump is here too. Hello, how are you? I'm good. I, I wanted to pay tribute to David De Gea, actually, but I couldn't find a clown suit in the wardrobe. Oh, don't buy it, Alex. Don't, don't buy it. Just don't. Don't do it. You know, don't go over the top just because he's had one bad game. <laughs> he had one good game once. Uh, the WhatsApp messages that were flying around during that game were were hilarious, absolutely hilarious, because Alex, uh, obviously a Manchester United fan, talks sport commentator and correspondent, but cannot hide his loyalties. He, he just cannot keep it in. He was exploding with grief on the full-time whistle uh, and asking for the location of Maurizio Pochettino again. Doesn't take much for this guy to turn. 19 games unbeaten, and then they lose one afternoon after only having 48 hours rest from their Thursday night encounter with Crystal Palace and all of a sudden it's Poch in Ollie out uh, I, I did text the producer Lucy and say what, what Alex Crook do you want tonight do you want the calm and considered crookie who will say Manchester United would you a defeat less rest than Chelsea or do you want the one who's absolutely raging and she picked the latter she did say raging you're absolutely right so you know if we don't get raging we'll be disappointed um well where to start really because it was a fantastic weekend so I suppose we shall begin with shocking Sunday and some breaking news on talk sport we understand that Nigel Pearson has left Watford. What is going on in the world? 
I think, is my reaction to that. I don't know. Speechless almost. Well, two games to go. Two games to go. They probably one point. They've got City and Arsenal to play. And they're going to bring in a new manager. Bonkers. London calling. The FA Cup final of 2020 will be a capital clash between the team that have won it more than anyone else and the team who are the most successful side in the competition this century. Arsenal against Chelsea is a date for your diary. And there is so much to talk about on Shocking Sunday, and I think the only place to start, Matt Holland, the sacking of Nigel Pearson, who, with two games to go, has been relieved of his duty as the manager of Watford Football Club. Um, Watford have got massive games, Manchester City at home at Vicarage Road on Tuesday night, followed by a game away at Arsenal. Um, look, it's, it's nothing new, is it, in the uh, the reign of the Pozzos? This is what they do. It's always been the way they've run the club. When they think there's a little downturn, immediately they make a change and look for a bounce. I think this, though, is the most surprising of them all, isn't it? Could not believe it. I was at uh, Bournemouth, Southampton uh, to, uh, today, and when the news broke at half-time, uh, which is when I first saw about it, I actually was in total bewilderment i couldn't i just couldn't believe it um one win i think they'd had when he took over and since then he has beaten liverpool he's won his last two at home to get them into a position where you know safety okay it isn't certain but they're in a good position to survive in the premier league they were disappointed at west ham i I get that but this is so unjust i mean the timing of it as well with with two games remaining is unbelievable something must have happened behind the scenes that we just are not privy to something must have happened between him and the owners uh, there must have been a bust up, a, a disagreement, because I can't fathom any other reason as to why he would have been sacked. Well, you're not the only one, because I understand the players are baffled. Uh, some will tell you that they thought they'd seen it all at Watford, but clearly that isn't the case. Some will, others will tell you that they're not surprised at all because of the form that the club have got. And that was in, included a long-running row that has going, been going on for a little while with the players about bonuses, bonuses from last season. The club didn't pay in relation to the FA Cup final appearances, which affected morale amongst the playing staff, incentive schemes, which the players feel the club haven't fulfilled or honoured. The club may dispute that. They, they may turn around and say that they've paid all the bonuses that are due and maybe that is the case now but there's no denying that there has been a sense of bewilderment amongst a group of players that are still not safe they get walloped by a frustrated Manchester City lose to Arsenal on the final day meanwhile Aston Villa or even Bournemouth just get one victory between them Watford could end up disappearing it's a precarious situation which from what I understand now listening to issues behind the scenes has been rumbling on for a while in terms of the relationship between the players and the owners, Alex Crook. It's interesting because it may even have been you, Sam, but I was speaking to someone before the game on Friday night that I covered also for for TalkSport International. And I said, just from dealing with Nigel Pearson a couple of times recently, it it felt like in his post-match interviews, and I don't know if you agree with this, that he was almost distancing himself from the situation. He was referring back to where they were when he came in and, and almost devoiding himself of responsibility. And rightly so, because if they did, do go down, it, it wouldn't be his fault. It certainly won't be his fault now. But I wonder if those frustrations boiled over. Um, the vibes are there was some kind of disagreement between Nigel Pearson and the owner, Gino Pozzo, in the immediate aftermath of that game at the London Stadium. 
and that's where the decision has come from. He reported for training on Sunday as, as usual and by the time the players were coming in for their session, he was heading out the exit door literally. They wanted Craig Shakespeare to stay on and maybe steady the ship for the rest of the season but to be fair to him, he stayed loyal to Nigel Pearson. So here we are with Hayden Mullins and, and Graham Stack and I guess, Matt, it's going to go one way or the other. Either it will galvanise the players to continue Nigel Pearson's good work or they could completely down tools in protest and take a hammering by Manchester City and then possibly end up going down on goal difference. I think they're they're largely disappointed that they've they've lost Nigel Pearson and it and it will be really difficult for them. You know, I thought the Arsenal game is one especially now that they're in an FA Cup final as well, would be one where they might rest a few and um, it'll give them a chance of getting a result. Um, look, I, I'm not surprised Nigel Pearson was distancing himself from from what's gone on before, you know, and, and because he's got the best win percentage of any Premier League manager that Watford have had. You know, he's done an, a remarkable job. They were dead and buried before he took over. There was Before Nigel Pearson took over, there was absolutely no chance that Watford were going to stay in the division. But, and he has galvanised them. But, the, but that, as I understand it, it was partly because of what happened at the back end of last season, beginning of this, in terms of the relationship with the players and, and the board and, and this disagreement over bonuses. And that's why morale had been at an all-time low. And that can some way, in part, explain why they started so badly and didn't win a Premier League game until November. They still haven't been very good. Let's not make out that they've been well beaters. Yes, they beat Liverpool, but their, 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 their wins have been few and far between. They had a sporadic period over Christmas where they picked up three victories, three key victories, which gave them hope. But they have been shocking all campaign. And they were exceptionally bad in the first 45 minutes against West Ham on Friday. But that doesn't really excuse making a decision like this at this time. No, and in... in defence of him as well I mean he's had his best player missing Delefeu in recent times as well and and in games where they've had to win he's managed to get the victories when under pressure and and, you know you can argue all you like about how good or bad Watford have been since Nigel Pearson came in they've been organised they've been more difficult to beat there's been more character there's, there's been more pressing there's been more work rate from the team you know and for everything that had gone on before he managed to turn that around get the players on side and and sing from the same hymn sheet and he gave them that opportunity to stay in the league Let's do a bit of FA Cup semi-final reaction Um, what do you want to start with Manchester City going out or Manchester United going out I think we're running a bit short of time aren't we should we move on to the previews no no no, no. Reaction first. Um, Manchester City getting beat by Arsenal, I think, was probably the biggest surprise. In fact, Arsenal went off eight to one for that game on Saturday night. I thought they were excellent, very well organised, brilliantly deployed. Uh, I thought Tierney's position on the left-hand side of a back three, but they're moving out to the wide left at certain points when they had the ball, created opportunities, the few opportunities that Arsenal did manage, and they took them through Aubameyang. I thought they were disciplined. You can't always say that about Arsenal. David Luiz had one of those games where he was terrific, and he does have those games, and I think you know he is much maligned. We do criticise him when he's poor, so we must praise him when he's absolutely superb, and he was. Yeah, I, th- I think there's been a number of players actually that have been much maligned at, at Arsenal. Uh, and well, Xhaka, David Luiz, the two of them have, have had an awful lot of stick this season and, and both performed, I thought, very well against City. I'm with you. I, I think that's the biggest shot of the weekend, the fact that City got knocked out. I think everybody, when they saw the draw, it's Man City versus Chelsea or Man United. Everyone wrote Arsenal off. Um, so for them to come through, what they have got is someone up top 
who is clinical. I don't actually think you have to take these two semi-finals in isolation because what you're looking at in both Frank Lampard and Mikel Arteta is two managers who produce tactical masterclasses. I mean, it was a bit easier for Lampard because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's tactics were all over the shop. But nonetheless, in both cases, they had a game plan. They stuck to it to perfection. I mean, there was a case when Hector Bayer in, in the first game strayed 10 yards out of position, got a right rollicking from Mikel Arteta and was apologising with his arm in the air. Everybody in that Arsenal squad brought in to what Mikel Arteta was doing. And I think that bodes well for the future because it's not always been the case. They've not been renowned for sticking to a game plan, sticking to their shape and, and showing character. They needed all of those attributes of the weekend they were good value and, and you could see fantastic with about half an hour to go Manchester City weren't going to score the game was effectively over after an hour yeah and I think that he deserves praise for that and we praised him on this podcast for the way he's communicated well to his players and to us about his his thought process and his clarity of thought he, he, everybody understands their job and those who have bought into the project and I'm talking about the younger players in Bukayo Saka and Maitland-Niles and some of the older players are going to get their rewards under him. He needs to develop the squad, but he's got the nucleus of the group that he wants now, Matt. And he's got a bit of steel about him as well because he's he's taking no prisoners with the players and the players know where they stand. Look at what he's done to Gwendouzi. Yeah. Meza Ozil. Yeah, you tell me he's still got a bad back? That's you tell me he's still got a bad back? Well, he's got a bad uh, back because he's carrying that huge wage packet. But apart from Honestly, that, it, it doesn't matter who you are in that dressing room. Mikel Arteta has, has proven... regardless whether you're the highest paid player the lowest paid player if you're not doing it for him you won't be in the team and I think that sends a really good message to the rest of the squad so I think that's been really impressive tactically he's he's chopped and changed things he's tried things Um, I've been really impressed actually I I just I think he's made a really good start I do worry because in the summer I don't know how much money he's going to have to spend and he he doesn't and he does need money to improve the squad and he knows that himself he knows it's not good enough to compete and they're nowhere near Liverpool and Man City's level at the moment and I'm, I'm worried that he won't get the money that he, he needs to, to kick them on to that next level next but, season anyway. But it's steps and stages, isn't it? You're not going to go from ninth in the Premier League where they are right now to you know winning the winning the title. I mean, unless you're Leicester City in that 5,000 to 1 season. But he, he does need investment. He's made that plain. I have done quite a few post-match interviews with him. In fact, I think I've probably done more with him than I've done with anybody else since the restart. And I've always been impressed with him. I think I've mentioned that a couple of times. I, I like the way he talks. I like the way that he seems to be in control, not only of just the football side of it, but everything else that's going on as well. He's not afraid to flash his teeth every now and again. Even at us in the media, you know, he's quite happy to, mm-hmm. to bite back a little bit as well. And I like that character that, that, he, that he shows. He, it shows that he's a winner. Like you said, he does need investment. He's mentioned that about, um, I think straight after the Liverpool game, he mentioned that as well. But he's done very well. Let's move on to the uh, second semi-final, which was Chelsea 3, Manchester United 1. Uh, let's hear from Frank Lampard and Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Well, we've been unbeaten for 19 uh, games now. And uh, uh, both uh, Sergio and David has played really well in that run. We've kept loads of clean sheets. You can see David... Uh, making a few saves here today as well and uh, on when was it Thursday night against uh, Palace he makes a couple of fantastic saves so I uh, I see where you're coming from everyone's gonna make a big massive headline on this that the other and David but of course he's uh, he knows he couldn't say that one I understand the, the, the tough 
challenge ahead in playing Arsenal in this final. Well, we've got two finals before that in the league, which we have to try and get the right results to finish our league season, hopefully as good as it can be. Um, and then, you know, we have to take on an Arsenal team that have got confidence, are playing well, have got a good manager, have got good players. It'll be a London derby, so I'm aware how tough it will be. So um, we just have to, to take it head on. Frank Lampard does deserve credit for his tactical switch to a back three, doesn't he, in this game? Because it gave Chelsea a little bit more protection. It allowed Jorginho and Kovacic to also sit and protect the back four whilst Reese James uh, on the right side and Alonso on the left got up and, and helped the attack. Not that they had too many clear-cut chances in the, in the game, but I know that Manchester United were outfoxed by that. Alex <laughs> oh, where to begin um, you're saying they're out foxed by that because they didn't anticipate Chelsea playing a back three yeah they told um, me that they weren't expecting that to happen yeah wasn't it fairly obvious they were going to play a back three in anticipation of Manchester United starting the game with Rashford, Martial and Greenwood no not really um, because Chelsea have declined to really based their tactics on the opposition in recent weeks. In fact, I even asked Frank Lampard why he didn't set up this way when they went to Sheffield United because that's what Sheffield United do. And he said, well, people have matched them up and they haven't really benefited from that. He changed at half-time during that game and, and, and Chelsea looked better, still lost the game. Um, so I can understand why they, why they thought Chelsea would play a back four. But I think it was more about attitude, energy and intensity than it was about tactics especially to start with. Yeah, and you can make an excuse for the energy because we spoke on the last podcast and I, I did have concerns about the short turnaround between matches. I know you were saying, oh, he's getting his excuses in early, but United have looked tired. They looked tired against Southampton. It was a weary performance against Crystal Palace. So changes did need to be made. I'm not sure he made the right change. In fact, this is one of those games where I think the, the match was lost when the team sheets were handed over because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got his tactics hopelessly wrong. It didn't help that David De Gea let in every shot that hit him. But I think, again, as we spoke last week, this exposes a lack of depth in the squad. The reason United have done so well since the restart is because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been able to put out his best team week after week. As soon as you stray away from that, you are going to have problems. And they just all came home to roost in, in this 90 minutes which was utterly dreadful and I guess if you're a Manchester United fan you're just hoping now there's no overspill for the rest of the season but De Gea is becoming a real problem um, and again I've been very critical of David De Gea all season on this podcast he was a fantastic goalkeeper he was the best goalkeeper in the world he isn't anymore and if you go back to the end of last season actually you could make a very good case that David De Gea was the main reason Manchester United didn't qualify for the Champions League. He made some significant errors at the end of the season when they'd looked to have got their act together, particularly in a game against Chelsea, actually, I remember, which cost them dearly. Yes, he had one blinding match at Tottenham, but that was isolation, really. They need a new number one goalkeeper, and I'm not actually convinced that Dean Henderson is ready to be that okay, goalkeeper. Okay, okay, okay. Angry from Salford. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> 0871 if anybody good, else wants to get involved in the debate. Good, uh, good rank, Crookie. Good rank, Crookie. I'll, 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 I'll take the hair out of it at the moment, and I will cut United some slack because I, the turnaround was very quick. I can understand him making changes and they have looked flat in, in recent games. It's the games. first game they've lost in 20. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, but and what I would say as well, of all the competitions and where they are at the moment, this was at the bottom Correct. of all these priorities. It, it, you know, the FA Cup was... The, the least of his worries yeah. it's about finishing in the top four qualifying for the Champions League and if they don't do it through the league position it's going to be the Europa League yeah. so the FA Cup 
was the bottom of his list. I'm not saying you know the team that he picked and the formation that he picked was a team that he, he expected to get beaten as comfortably as they did. But he's got to but, protect his options because he knows he's got a longer season than everybody else. He'll be expecting to play football right up until August the 21st. Yeah, and, and, and bearing and in mind the season starts two weeks now. later. Yeah, and, and bearing in mind the season will start on September the 11th. They've got what two yeah. weeks break plus the international. Uh, those some of those players are going to go away for internationals as well. Yeah, but don't just give De Gea a free pass, Matt. Do you think Manchester United? need a new number one goalkeeper. We all know that De Gea's made too many mistakes. I actually got in, in, in a, into a little bit of a, a spat with Stuart Pearce because I blamed him for the first goal and Stuart said, I'm not sure that that was his fault. Um, and then on reflection, he said, all right, okay, he got a, a hand and a toe and a knee onto it and probably should have kept it out. Uh, and But the second one, clearly, even Stuart was hammering him for that because it was... It was a it was a such a poor error. I mean, it yeah. looks like he goes down two days after the shot was been taken. Yeah. Well, one was, of the things that we've experienced from this restart as commentators and broadcasters is that sometimes players and officials can hear what we're saying during commentary. Maybe David De Gea has heard Stuart Pearce defending him and thought, right, I'm going to show you. I'll really blunder now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a, re- a really big call for Oli in, in the summer and, and what he does with. De Gea and perhaps Henderson is Henderson ready to, to take on the mantle of being United's number one because I heard Gary Neville talking about this and he, he said it takes a, a big personality a, 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 it's a totally it's totally different playing for a Chef United and doing what he's doing but David De Gea didn't have a big personality when he turned up in that Manchester United dressing and he struggled and he struggled initially. If you remember, David De Gea yeah. was was not not particularly good, and he he was lightweight and he was bullied, and he found it difficult when he first got into the Premier League. Um, but they stuck with him, and so Alex Ferguson showed a lot of faith in him. It's whether they decide right now to bring Henderson back and be the number one goalkeeper. I think that's a big call. I I personally think De Gea will be United's number one next year. It's a bit of a problem for United actually replacing goalkeepers anyway. For every Peter Schmeichel and Edwin van der Sar, there's a Massimo Taibi and a Fabian Barthez. So they've not had a particularly good hit rate when it comes to goalkeepers. <sighs> well, what, what have you done to cheer yourself up tonight? I, well, I didn't watch the last 10 minutes. I went for a nice long bath. Did you? Oh, you're clean. I That's missed the good. penalty. Do you, do you call yourself a fan? Through thick and thin, Crookie. Yeah. There was still 10 minutes to go. You just there's, never know. There's no thin with Crook. It's thick or, or nothing. He likes his football like he likes his bread. Uh, right, <laughs> OK, let's move on to Leicester against Spurs because uh, Spurs beat them heavily, didn't they? I, Crook and I was talking, actually, on Sunday morning about this game. Uh, and I said, I, I, I fancy Tottenham this afternoon because... There is a little bit of needle between Jose and Brendan. I think Jose believes that Brendan was disrespectful to him uh, prior to the end of the season in which Brendan was hoping to take Liverpool to the title. Jose then decided he would go and ruin that for him and did everything in his power to do so and successfully did. Um, As a result of that, though, Chelsea need just one win from their two remaining games to guarantee top four football, although their games are against Liverpool and Wolverhampton Wanderers. It's still in the balance, isn't it? And whatever happens, it will all go down to the final day because Leicester and Manchester United's goal difference now is exactly the same and they play each other. Incredible, isn't it? I mean, you couldn't have written it really. It couldn't have written it better. And it's it's going to be a fascinating um, battle on that last day with Chelsea playing Wolves as well. Um, so it, it's pretty. It's set up to be a fantastic shootout for those Champions League places. Um, Leicester, by all accounts, had, had more shots 
you know, they, they, they um, created more chances, but Spurs were clinical. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah, that's the way our heart, our heart, Jose likes it. Aha, aha. Bournemouth's defeat to Saints uh, leaves them in a precarious position. Uh, you've had one run. If you could try not to have another, that would be great. Just tell us what you thought of the performance today because you were at that game with Matt. Performance was okay for large part. Southampton weren't great. Bournemouth dictated the pace of the game. But as has been the problem for them this season, when they got up and in and around the penalty area, they, they weren't clinical enough in front of goal. Callum Wilson seems to have forgotten how to stick the ball in, in the back of the net. And obviously there was that crushing blow where they thought they'd equalise Sam Surridge with his first Premier League goal, correctly ruled out by VAR. And then Saints almost straight away break at the other end and, and Shay Adams puts the ball into the bottom corner. And there was a great image, well, not a great image if, if you're a Bournemouth fan or even if you've got a heart actually of Aaron Ramsdale, who had another fantastic game and he'll get a move to a Premier League club this summer, no doubt about that. And he was just crouched against the post. One minute he was celebrating uh, because he thought Surridge had equalised and then he'd let in the second goal and as the whistle went, he was absolutely dejected. Eddie Howe closed his eyes, head bowed. I, I think they know their race is run. Listen, they could get a miracle yet because as we've talked about already, Manchester City could give Watford a walloping and, and then it would go to the last day and if Bournemouth could somehow win their game at Everton, that might be enough. But probably if we're being brutally honest yeah. over the course of the season they deserve <laughs> it, it to go it felt down. like today was the day where the hope was sucked out of Bournemouth Matt the last three or four games the effort and application has been there and it, and it was certainly there today I don't think they, they they played particularly well but you could never question the players attitude and commitment today the trouble is they came back from the project restart lost at home to Crystal Palace and got thrashed at home to Newcastle. When you looked at the fixtures, you looked at those two and you thought, right, they can get off to a great start, win those two home games and they're in a great position to try and stay in the league. And that was where their problems lay. They came back really sluggish from the restart. The last three or four games against some of the bigger teams as well, I've been impressed with. And the, and the attitude and application today was evident, but there was a lack of quality in the final third. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. 
Okay, let's move on to the big game previews. I knew we'd get there in the end. on the counter attacks the ball's played over the top he's got Lacazette in the middle of the angle he's tight he might go alone he goes alone and scores and Aubameyang has scored once in each half Arsenal lead Manchester City goes through and it has gone through and it's turned home by Konza it's a huge huge goal in the relegation battle finally the quality delivery was there Aston Villa against Arsenal kicks off at 8.15. It is live and exclusive on TalkSport. Game day kickoff. Stuart Pearce and I will be there at Villa Park uh, for this game. And Aston Villa will be one of those teams, in fact, probably the only team that looked at the Watford situation, looked at the Bournemouth situation and thought, we'll have some of that, thank you very much. They've got a chance, haven't they, Matt? They have got a chance. Yeah, they have. And, and actually, it's, it's not the worst fixture for them three days after a semi-final um, and the likelihood is that Arteta will make changes. Uh, so that automatically should give them the boost that, that says actually we can get something out of this game and the results have gone their way as well. So yeah, it is a great opportunity for Villa to pick up some points. They've been given so many lifelines over the course of the season, Aston Villa, and this is another because Watford seems to be imploding from within because Bournemouth have lost again in a fixture that maybe they would have seen as winnable and and you, you're right Arsenal would have used up so much energy not just in the FA Cup semi-final but actually against Liverpool yeah. but I think I'm right in saying they only had two shots on target and spent a lot of that game chasing the ball so listen if Dean Smith can rally his troops for one last effort th- this could be the shock result that we're looking for between now and the end of the season to really blow that survival race wide open my concern if I was an Aston Villa supporter would be have they got the quality to take advantage? I'm not convinced. Well, they have got quality in their ranks and it might be one of those days where Jack Grealish turns up and becomes Jack Grealish, the Aston Villa saviour once again. They, they, there are matches where you look at Aston Villa and you think they're, they're, they're all right. They're okay going forward until they get into the penalty area and then they don't seem to have anyone who can put the ball in the back of the net. The worry for me is at the back where they, they've looked leaky. They've looked better since the start of uh, the restart to the season. They certainly look better drilled in that area. But, you know they're still prone to the odd error it's about them being disciplined for 90 minutes it's about them taking advantage and getting the lucky breaks maybe they got one against Crystal Palace last weekend maybe they got one against Sheffield United maybe it's written in the stars that they're going to be the the, 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 the ones who, who get the benefits from the big decisions over the course of the this particular period and, and, and as a result stay up and, and that might be the headline at the end of the season but ultimately it's now or never for, for Aston Villa, isn't it? Yeah, and, they, and they, you said all that and they, they've had elements of fortune that have gone their way, but then there was the kick in the teeth at Everton when they, they'd taken the lead late on in the game and conceded. They're always likely to concede. I, th- I think that's you know evident and it has been evident all season. There's been too many mistakes and, and um, you know even in, even in goal, that hasn't been... But their fixtures are the kindest, aren't they? I mean, they have Arsenal after the semi-final and then West Ham on the, on the final day of the campaign, Crook. Yeah, and that Tottenham victory over Leicester really extinguishes any flickering hope that Arsenal had of, of qualifying for Euro- the Europa League via the conventional route. So they literally have nothing to play for. I guess the caveat to that would be if he's going to make changes in the, in the last couple of games of the season and the players who do come in are going to try and prove their worth for an FA Cup final slot. So it, it's still difficult. Uh, West Ham, you would fancy on the last day because I think they'll be 
mathematically okay by then. So, yeah, it's, it's in Villa's hands. Uh, it's not in Bournemouth's hands anymore. It is in Aston Villa's. They're already mathematically safe, aren't they? I mean, uh, you, you'd need some sort of Pythagoras theory to relegate West Ham now. This is 2020. This is not a normal season. Until, <laughs> until they're mathematically safe, I'm not taking anything for it's granted. A, but you're right. It, it, it would take a big goal swing. Yeah, 14, 15, 15 goal swing in order for them to, to be relegated now. Uh, I think even in 2020, that isn't going to happen. What about Watford Man City? This could be a chastening affair for Hayden Mullins, who's in charge of Watford for not the first time this season. Uh, Six o'clock kickoff on Tuesday night. Uh, We've done a lot on Watford, so maybe we should talk about how Manchester City are going to react to this, Matt. I expect them to react and and punish Watford and and win the game comfortably. I know you know people will say they haven't got anything to play for. We we know they're already second in the league and that's where they're staying, but they've got Champions League to look forward to um, still which which is obviously very important to them he's and, talked and, uh, about how difficult it's going to be for him to find rhythm between now and then because obviously he was expecting to have a game on Tuesday one on Sunday and then expecting to play in an FA Cup final so that he could prepare the team for the second leg against Real Madrid now that well, the fixtures are irrelevant between now and that Real Madrid game it does pose him a bit of a problem well, he picks for me. He should pick his best team for the, for the two games, and and there's a big enough gap between the last day of the Premier League season uh, and before they the, get the second leg against Real Madrid for them not to be worried too much about what team he selects against Watford and Norwich. That's where his rhythm comes by picking his best team rather than chopping and changing, rather than taking out one player, resting another player. You pick your team that you think is going to play against Real Madrid in these next two games. Does he not need to wrap? Gabriel Jesus up in cotton wool between between now and then just bearing in mind they're without, without Aguero if, if if anything was to happen to him then then that would be a big problem wouldn't it not having a, a recognised striker yeah not not ideal but he's got players who can play there and, and have played there and he, he, you know we've seen it before he's, he's been quite clever in the way that he drops a, a midfield player into you know, slightly deeper and ask the two centre arse to go and chase him and there's space in them for the two wide players to run into so yes it, uh, of course he'd like Jesus fit um, but at the same time I, I still think in terms of trying to get rhythm you, you try and pick your best side Okay, let's whip round three of the Premier League games whilst showing our expertise as we jump on the bit of roulette rivalry. Producer Lucy is with us, having fixed her microphone this week, uh, which is good news. Um, And we're going to do one each of the Monday games to preview against the clock. Lucy, hello. Hello. She sounds really bubbly tonight. She does. I know, it's because I've had a coffee before we start recording. Oh, oh, gone all out. Coffee coffee or a couple of wines or what have you had? (laughs) No, to be fair though, anyone sounds bubbly when you know you're speaking near Crook. <laughs> you're a bit harsh on me there. Do you know what, Matt? She messaged me earlier because I said, you know, do you want me to rant tonight? And she said, well, to be fair, you've been really grumpy last two podcasts. Yeah. I'm not sure that's you? strictly true. <laughs> you yeah. seem quite, you seem quite jovial tonight to me, Crookie. <laughs> it's all false. You can tell he's dead behind the eyes. Ah, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lucy, you're on top form tonight. Um, okay, before you get too much coffee down, you, do, you, do you want to dish out the games? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Sam, you go first. Oh, okay. Again. Right, okay. Well, Matt, you go first then. Okay. No Stop moaning mini over there. Okay, you've got Wolves v Crystal Palace. Oh, I wanted that one. Yeah, Did you? Start. Yeah. <laughs> now, 
Okay, so Wolves are in a position where they win their last two games and they've qualified for the Europa League. I don't expect them to slip up against the Crystal Palace side who are in awful form. Uh, lost six in a row. Uh, they've not scored in five of those. In fact, this season, they've only scored 30 goals all year. Um, so I don't anticipate Crystal Palace getting too much of this one. Been really impressed with Wolves. The fact that is they're now, they're only, what, six points, I think, off, off Man United. Jimenez is in great form as well. His goal against Burnley was absolutely top draw. I'm worried about whether he'll still be at Wolves next season because he's someone that has surely caught in attention. Um, he's been absolutely terrific and, and as I say, the goal he scored against Burnley was out of this world. So Wolves to beat Crystal Palace. God, that's the longest 45 seconds I think I've ever been a part of. Did you put your timer on or did you the coffee make you forget? No, my phone has done an update though, so it's a new timer. So I'm, you know, it's quite exciting for me. Not much happens. <laughs> Next, we, we've lost you, Sam. I'm still here. You can hear me, can't you? I can hear. He's you. looking at notes. Yeah, that's oh. unbelievable. I'm looking at the table. If, if, if truth be told, right, Sam. Yeah. If you'd like to put your camera back on, so we can see that you're not cheating. <laughs> okay. Right. Here you go. You've got Sheffield United v Everton. Time starts now. Sheffield United have been much better at home since the restart than they have been away. Home advantage always good for them. Um, They beat Chelsea recently there in a terrific display. They're always well organised. They have a bit more of a goal threat. I think McBurney actually has been a good focal point for them. They are probably in the position that they deserve over the course of the season 8th, 7th, 8th I think that's where they'll they'll end up they're still fighting for a chance to play in the Europa League Everton have been terrible since the restart I mean they grabbed the late goal against Aston Villa on Thursday night but ultimately they've been incredibly disappointing Carlo Ancelotti was right to get furious with Jordan Pickford who's made too many mistakes and they haven't won at Bramall Lane since 1978 there you go that wasn't bad was it? no notes I think you did have notes. I didn't. Though, it was all off looking. the top of my head. That was absolutely. Well, it was off, off the top, top of, of your head. They hadn't won at Bramall Lane since 1978. That was just stored in the memory bank. And what was the score? And who scored? I don't know. Unbelievable. <laughs> I read that earlier, and it sticked in my mind. I had two things yeah. in my mind: that Brighton and Newcastle have drawn 23 games between them so far this season. So you now can't. Don't tell Crook. He's got to do that now. <laughs> I'll use that as well. And uh, it was 1978 that the last time that Everton won at Bramall Lane. That's the only two, two things I remembered. The rest of it, let's be honest, was just waffle. No change there then. <laughs> Crook, you're next. You know what you've got. So let's crack on. Time starts now. Do you know what? I'm going to be out of the Amex on Monday night for TalkSport. I can't wait for this game. Ever since Project Restart came around, this was the match that I was looking forward to above all others. It's 13th against 16th in the Premier League. Absolutely nothing at stake. They've drawn 23 games between them over the course of the season. They've got no wins in their last seven between them. Uh, since the restart it's going to be absolutely fantastic it's the Chris Hewton derby two teams renowned for high energy loads of chances it's going to be nil-nil isn't it and it's going to be fabulous this for me is what the Premier League in 2020 is all about what a game I'm going to be covering for TalkSport I'm so excited that was a lot of filling that wasn't it (laughs) 
Also, what was that weird head gesture you were doing? I thought you were going to take off. <laughs> That was me getting into it, see? So what you're saying is, is Lucy's such a good producer because she knows exactly how to push your buttons. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Okay, before we get to Andrew Butler's Dream Team tips, let's look at the two remaining fixtures that we haven't talked about yet. Manchester United, West Ham and Liverpool, Chelsea. Both of them Wednesday night. They're one after the other. It's going to be compelling viewing. Um, because both these two teams chasing for Champions League places, Liverpool's trophy presentation, of course, as well that night. So they'll be able to celebrate in the COP. That's where they're going to do the, uh, the the trophy presentation. Apparently, Jordan Henderson has been a big part of organising it. So it, it, it should be pretty impressive. You can imagine that Liverpool will put on a decent show. But I suppose the game itself is obviously a lot more crucial for the visitors. I think the big question is if Jordan Henderson's going to be in full kit when he goes and gets the trophy. I think that's the big Ooh. that's the big talking point. Will he be wearing his full Liverpool kit? Because he's obviously not going to be playing with his injury, but will he be in full Look, kit for when he goes and gets the trophy? You know that's what? the big question. This, this has come up uh, time and time again over the last few years, ever since poor old John Terry uh, lifted the European Champions League trophy in 2012. But the fact is, if you look back at pictures of 1990, um, the Liverpool boot room staff were wearing full first team kit when the trophy was given to them. So it's, it's not a new thing. It's not a new thing. It's just a, John Terry obviously wasn't popular at the time. Everyone picked on him. And now it's like, have you done a John Terry? It's standard now. Look at Manchester City down at Brighton last year. So everyone does it. I, I was being flippant. I actually don't care whether he does or he doesn't <laughs> wear a full kit. Um, but it, it, look, they, they've been brilliant this year. They haven't been as good since the restart it's hard for them I'm sure you know the motivation the title was won um, they were still chasing records cares, you know the- well they were still chasing records and that's something that will frustrate them the fact that they're not going to get to 100 points now for instance which is something I'm sure they would have liked to have done um, I, I actually think they'll probably win this game uh, I think they'll they'll beat Chelsea you don't like that, Sam's that you don't like that you didn't like that prediction there Sam but I actually think that Liverpool will will beat Chelsea I think the the um, the games have come thick and fast for them as well and, and they've been a bit inconsistent Chelsea alright all right, Matt okay let's move on to Crook he's better at predictions anyway is he? <laughs> no, I've just got the table in front of me so if Chelsea did lose that game they would stay on 63 points one point yes. ahead of Leicester we're expecting United to go on to 65 so and if, with the goal difference if Manchester United win their game against um, West Ham and then lose to Leicester Chelsea would still be locked out of the Champions League that that's right? if Chelsea. That's if Chelsea lose at home to Wolves, as well. Chelsea are going to lose to Wolves, aren't they? <laughs> well, <laughs> all this, I, well, I thought there'd be a lot of post semi final optimism. Yeah, coming there's from, the enthusiasm uh, there. Corner, Sam. But, uh, <laughs> it's better to be. It's, I, better, it's better to uh, listen. David Moyes taught me this. He quoted the Archbishop of York this week, and he said, "Look, promise less, deliver more." That's what we try and do on this podcast, is it? <laughs> Promise less and deliver even fewer <laughs> gems for people to take away. Um, I, I agree with Matt, actually. I think Liverpool, the night they get the trophy, that they knew they let themselves down against Arsenal. I thought Virgil van Dijk was pretty honest about that in his post-match interview. I think we've been talking a bit about a Manchester City backlash. I think maybe Chelsea could be on the end of a Liverpool backlash, to be honest. 
Manchester United against West Ham kicked off at <laughs> six, o'clock, six o'clock that evening. Um, West Ham, I thought, actually were were really well organised in their game on Friday night. I really like Thomas Suchek. I know that uh, Andrew Butler will talk about him in just a second, so we won't labour on that. But Antonio was fabulous as well. They sort of stumbled on a on a centre back pairing as well in Diop and um, Ogbonna. They're not the best central defenders in the world, Matt, but they are the best that West Ham have right now. I do worry about the right-back situation because I thought Ben Johnson had a, a bit of a difficult evening on Friday night, despite the fact that, obviously, West Ham cruised through most of the game. Uh, but um, th- those two centre-halves are uh, are certainly giving them a little bit of more of a platform than the previous incumbents. I'm actually quite pleased for, for David Moyes as well because he was coming under a lot of scrutiny and you know his his record since he, he he got to West Ham wasn't particularly good. He actually had some really difficult fixtures when he took over. Um, but the last couple of games, I've been I've been really impressed with them. I was I was at Norwich. I mean, and, and Antonio was outstanding at Norwich. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and it's not just I his think, goals, is it? It's also the other stuff that uh, he does for the team. The link up play is it, excellent. He holds the ball up. He allows other people to join. He brings them into play. <laughs> He gets them up the pitch. He, he'll, he'll chase the channels. He holds the ball up. He uh, entices fouls. He gives them a break. Because if yeah. you're constantly defending, you're in big trouble. And Antonio gives them a break. He gives them an outlet. More so than Haller when he's played up top. You know, I, I think he's he's been um, absolutely outstanding for them. Jared Bowen's been a good signing as well. He's added... Excellent. added yeah. Well, this is something that West Ham needed. They needed energy in the team. Yeah. They needed a bit of pace in the team. And in Antonio and, and Bowen, they've got that at the top end of the pitch, which has been hugely important to them. And I spoke to David Moyes on Friday night and I spoke to Mark Noble as well. He, he he said, actually, this club has promised to, to be in the Champions League, he's promised to be in the Europa League. We've got to stop talking about it. And what we've got to start doing is, is aiming higher. David Moyes has said they've got to believe, the owners have got to believe in what I am doing. They've got to believe in my vision for the club. It takes time to build a successful squad. I've bought in Suchek. I've bought in Bowen. I've got the best out of Declan Rice. As far as I'm concerned, his future is secure. I now need the club to back me so I can continue with this project. Do you think they will, Crook? It's difficult when a manager of a club the size of West Ham, and I say this with no disrespect at all to them, or a midfielder, sorry, in the case of Mark Noble, starts talking about Champions League. No, he didn't talk about Champions League. He was saying, we have talked as a club, and he was referring to the fact that the uh, the owner had outline those targets previously and saying we keep talking about we've now got to start thinking about how we do it and it's not going to be an, e- an easy thing it's well they're not realistic stages. ambitions are they when, no, when you not. look at the, the history not. of the Premier League David Moyes did break into the top four once when he was at Everton and they lost to Villarreal of course in the Champions League qualifiers it's, it's, it's going to cost hundreds of millions of pounds I think for West Ham first and foremost the target is just not to be fighting another relegation battle. They need to be challenging for placing the top half of the table. They should be competing with teams like Sheffield United, like Everton, like Wolverhampton Wanderers. Let's go for that to start with. Um, I saw David Moyes actually at Queen's Park Rangers on Saturday. I was there watching the game against Millwall for TalkSport. Really good game. But he was a busy boy because he was at Charlton before that watching one of his lone players. I do wonder who he might have been watching at QPR because their best player undoubtedly is Eberichi Eze. 
but he's a number 10, isn't he? And I think they've got quite a few of those already, West Ham. Well, yeah, they have, but a lot of them aren't playing the team because they don't do what David Moyes wants them to do. Yeah. And that's, you know, Felipe Anderson, Lanzini. Well, they'll sell know, Felipe Jack. Anderson. They'll probably sell Lanzini. I don't yeah. imagine that Jack Wilshere will be staying unless he's got a contract. Exactly. So there's a number of players there that, that are, uh, I don't know, I think in, certainly in David Moyes' eyes, surplus to requirements. I, that's if David Moyes is going to be there next year or not. That's I, the, the big fact question. he was at a championship game, he's already signed Jarrod Bowen from the championship. M- maybe it's going to be a change of recruitment from West Ham rather than signing these big money players from abroad. Maybe they're going to look to the EFL a bit more and get young, hungry players who are going to buy into his philosophy. Well, the two best players that they've got at the moment have come from the EFL in Antonio and Jared Bowen, so it might not be a bad thing. I also understand that Mark Noble has been offered a new two-year contract, and I expect him to sign that. Um, that, uh, I think, will come out in the next couple of weeks or so, uh, which means that he'll secure his future as the West Ham captain. I think he sees his role very much as nurturing a group of young players coming through as well and being part of the the sort of the dressing room experience and trying to sort of cultivate a West Ham way he actually used the words West Ham way when speaking to me earlier this week so I mean I suppose that's good news for West Ham too their opponents Manchester United have got to bounce back from their semi-final defeat I imagine that we will see Greenwood and Martial from the start and Pogba from the start this time around Crook yeah Matt used the word rhythm earlier he was talking about Manchester City but I think Manchester United need to find their rhythm again as well and it seems churlish because you'll say well they've only lost one in 20 they dropped points at home to Southampton deservedly so didn't deserve to win that game were fortunate with a couple of decisions against Crystal Palace when they were below par they can't afford to slip up here and it's been a theme of the season that every time they've been given a chance to cement a place in the top four they haven't been able to grasp it so they have to do that first and foremost and then they have to try and rebuild a bit of momentum because it would have been dented by what happened at Wembley and the, and the nature of the defeat before the Europa League gets off and running again. So I think this is a really important game for Manchester United. OK, it is the last midweek fixtures, displaced fixtures as they are officially called. Uh, and as a result of that, we have to get some Dream Team tips from the guru himself, fresh from writing a column in The Sun. It is, And that's not like sitting outside in the pub garden writing it. I'm talking about the newspaper. <laughs> it is the Dream Team editor at large, Andrew Butler. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Sam. It's uh, it's been a fantastic weekend of football. It certainly has been an entertaining one. That is for sure. Yeah. Um. I, again, you've rearranged the scarves behind you once again. I mean, is that your pride and joy? The scarf collection is that the way you show your personality? <laughs> I wish my personality stretched further than the football scarves that I own. But um, you speak to a few people that I know, and it, it probably doesn't. Okay. So. Um. <laughs> <laughs> let's get on with Butler's banker. Then, what have you got for us? I'm going to go for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Um, He is, I mean, from an Arsenal perspective, a banker of all bankers. Um, Absolutely brilliant uh, in just doing what he does, which is just scoring goals and crucial goals at that against Man City, Um, securing them another FA Cup final spot in the the Arsene Wenger Cup, as it will be known in the future, of course. Um, But he got got 13 points, um, which is edging him ever so closely to that 200-point mark. He's on 192 points overall. 
Okay, and uh, your big bet this week has centred on a West Ham United player who I have been incredibly impressed with since he joined from Slavia Prague. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I knew a great deal about um, Thomas Socek before he came to the Premier League, but um, and they signed him in January as well, and still didn't really know much about him between the months of January and March. He came back, played a couple of games, and I thought, who is who is that guy? And now he's become unavoidable. Um, Thomas Socek's in the game at 2.5 million. He's scored 45 points since the Premier League restart. And while all the eyes were on Mark Noble's 500th appearance for West Ham, and, and congratulations to him for that, Socek's been really impressive. You say he's unavoidable, but the Watford defence did quite well in avoiding him on <laughs> Friday night. Um, Butler's bargain? Yeah, I mean, Mason Mount, I'm just going for him because he's a very, very fresh in the memory. Um, as we record um, but he also hit 100 points for the season um, he's in the game at 1.8 million um, his goal against Man United obviously took him over those 100 points uh, Chelsea do play Liverpool away but uh, actually having Chelsea players in your team now in Dream Team is probably not a that bad idea now that they are of course in the FA Cup final which does count towards Dream Team points oh uh, yeah so an extra game to play and Butler's big block tackle I'm going to say basically anyone that isn't Arsenal or Chelsea unless you want to go for the big bet which is Thomas Socek of um, course um, okay. as, dream, as Dream Team goes this uh, this year there's no European games that are counting towards um, Dream Team points in August so basically you've got this week of fixtures and then you've got the FA Cup final um, so Arsenal have got three games Chelsea three games as well possibly worth a look if you can possibly manufacture your transfers to get a couple of Arsenal and Chelsea players in it's probably worth it fill your boots thank you Andrew lovely stuff thank you guys okay uh, well listen it's been another cracking show I think we followed the Archbishop's advice we promised very little and we delivered only a little bit more than that uh, but the ultimate preview is back on Friday uh, when Crook and I will be joined by Darren Lewis please rate and review and tell all your friends to download it too don't forget there's live commentary on Tuesday night of Arsenal's game away at Aston Villa it's a huge huge game um, I don't want the, the football season to end but don't worry because it isn't yet we've still got the final weeks of the Premier League to play out the championship drama on Wednesday night on Talk Sport and Talk Sport 2 and of course all the European football before the season just starts again. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.